What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Oh, well, I mean, uh, it didn't have so much impact on sec the work on Section 508 uh, and digital accessibility because Section 508 is kind of a it's really unique law in the way in which it, 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 it changes society. Um, laws like uh, the Rehabilitation Act in 1973, which was um, really the first major legislation uh, that for people with disabilities uh, was had historical precedents from, you know, other civil rights laws. The, and the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is probably the, the biggest opportunity for people with disabilities, because it's, it went beyond just the federal government and federal grantees. Now it was all of a sudden all of society. That, that, that really owes its basic structure to the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, just in the way, for instance, the, you know, one of the things that I, complain about is that in web accessibility, we've got this divide between um, how you cover private businesses. And it all comes down to this language, place of public accommodation. That term public accommodation originally came from the Civil Rights Act of 64. And so there's this historical precedent that comes along with that. And, and it's, um, in a good way and sometimes in a bad way. <laughs> and one of the bad ways is that it, it, it limited our ability to get to private businesses sometimes. Um, and that's a whole other legal presentation. But basically what it comes down to is you can sue, say, Netflix, for instance, in Massachusetts successfully, but you can't sue them in California successfully under the ADA. And it all comes down to the way in which courts interpret that term public accommodation, and that all that's a leftover from or civil rights act. And there are little nuances like that. Or that, that these laws all have some uh, basis in these uh, older laws. And so the interpretations of how uh, how courts have interpreted those older laws bleeds into how we interpret some of the newer laws. Do you find that, you know, I guess in, in, in comparing when these laws first came out to now, do you is there is there a difference in how companies um, essentially how they uh, reacted to those laws? So it, you know, were some looking for shortcuts and you know ways to manage or, or, or be in compliance before, whereas now they're taking it more seriously? Does that does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, like so for instance, when um, web accessibility that's a big one, right? It, websites weren't around really back in 1990. Uh, and so a lot of people say, well, you can't sue us because of our website or if I'm an online only company, you can't, you can't sue me under this old law that's intended to cover gas stations and drugstores. I'm not, you know, I'm not like a traditional company. I'm a digital, I'm a purely online company. Um, and so, 
you know, if you wanted law to cover those kinds of companies, well, you know, you're perfectly happy. You're perfectly within your rights to try and tell Congress to rewrite the ADA. And good luck with that. So, yeah, I mean, trying to apply these, trying to um, uh, to take these old laws and morph them into something that can be used in modern society is sometimes really hard. Uh, but you know, I, I, what amazes me is actually how well we do with these things. I mean, this issue isn't unique to this. This, this idea of change of applying old laws to new problems isn't unique to just web accessibility and digital accessibility. It, 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 it's constant in the American legal system and yet we somehow do it. Um, um, well, can I, uh, one of the other, cause you know what, uh, again, the choose inclusion, we're always, we're always focused on the lens of, um, how to like, from a best practices perspective, how do you create, um, you know, organizations, you know, cause we, we know some of the data that supports, um, organizations that are truly, you know, that embrace inclusion on, on multiple fronts. Uh, they, they, they literally outperform. They, they outperform in a uh, for-profit way, their peers and similar verdict in the same vertical. And so from the, um, accessibility lens. I'm, I, I, you, you've heard me say this, uh, to you and Jeffrey when, uh, we had, uh, I think it was probably the last conference that was, uh, safe to go to, uh, the PAC RIM in, uh, early March of 2020. We got to hang out a little bit and I, I'm always talking about, well, so from a, from, from the Title III, the ADA Title III perspective, um, that's what a lot of, uh, public facing companies um, are getting dinged on, making sure that if you've got a website that's public, you know, that public accommodation, you got to make sure that that part is accessible. But I, I, I submit that those same technologies, those same best practices to make that, that same digital content externally facing accessible, um, when you apply those same uh, methodologies, those same technologies to your internal landscape from an employment perspective, um, um, a, you get more bang for your buck, and now you're actually able to uh, be more inclusive from an employment perspective with the people with disabilities who still have an egregious unemployment epidemic. Um, love to get your uh, your lens on that. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. You're, you're preaching to the choir there. Um, if you, well, yeah, I, we've got a huge problem in our country with with the employment levels for people with disabilities compared to people without disabilities. Uh, and uh, even before COVID came along, it's, it's shocking to me. And that when you take the technologies that, that we've been applying towards the outside um, and apply them towards intranet and towards, you know, uh, in-house systems, then it really does improve opportunities for the employees. But where the problem sometimes comes up, though, that I see is that a lot of the internal systems aren't systems that are built by that company, whereas their external-facing websites are. And so they have more control over the uh, accessibility of their main e-commerce website, for instance, but their internal website might be, is, is very often something that they bought off the shelf and that they tweaked a little bit. So, you know, I'm thinking about like all these HR systems, like I'm doing right now my person, my uh, annual employee performance review, and I have to do it through this web-based interface, 
and I won't tell you what the product is, <laughs> but it's something that we bought, our company bought that, you know, off the shelf. Um, and I think that that's more where 508 comes in because 508 was, is a, the law that really requires the federal government when they're buying that same product to make sure that they think about accessibility and push that higher and higher. Uh, because, you know, that best meets requirement that I talked about earlier. And that the thought was that that when that company makes their product accessible in order to meet the federal government's requirements, that they wouldn't just make just for the federal government, that they'd make it for everyone else too. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, it, it, one doesn't necessarily drive the other, uh, even though logic would say it should, just because of that difference, you know, the, the internal systems are very often bought and then they have to go back to their vendor and say, like, why didn't you make the system better? As opposed to just their, their own developers saying, where they could just say, fix it. No, I, to I totally agree. And, and a lot of times, uh, the suggestions that we, we blind into the technology give employers is, uh, you know, starting with a procurement policy, right? Making sure that yeah. the internal systems, you know, that you're, so it starts, you know, we always say from policy to placement and making sure that organizations from a, a strategy level roadmap, you know, they have to include uh, procurement policies, making sure that, um, you know, those vendors are giving them accessible technology. And uh, and that, that's, that's quite a different set of uh, conversations with organizations. But um, uh, again, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a broader conversation, but I just appreciate your lens with that. Yeah. Hey, Ken, where um, Oh, sorry. I was just, I was going to ask what what are you excited about? Um, you know, just to kind of to kind of close this particular conversation because Mike's right. I mean, we could talk about this forever. But what are you since you've sort of been there from the beginning? Let's say what I mean. What are you excited about? What's what's on the horizon? Like what I don't know. What what what's the future look like? Even in you know coming out of COVID nineteen. Oh, I think the things that I'm excited about are, yeah, they're definitely technological. Like, for instance, EdgeGuide. I think that that's amazing technology, especially when we combine that with augmented reality. Um, because eventually what I can see happening is that we start creating digital maps of the world around us. And if I could know, for instance, that a particular well, not necessarily GPS location, but a location that is that we can track to a much finer degree than GPS would allow. If I knew that at a particular location um, is a door to a to a store, for instance, um, then it just opens up amazing opportunities to people with disabilities. Assuming that we can create some sort of open standard that we can all be developing to. So if I'm running a grocery store, if I have a grocery store and I implement um, uh, a set of beacons around my grocery store, that I can create a system so that I can tell where the front door is and where the cashiers are and where the different departments within the grocery store are without having to worry about it being confined to one particular system. Um, that it was open so that anybody who came along who happened to have a uh, a smartphone would be able to navigate internally within my store. So interior wayfinding is something I've been super excited about for the last six years or so, I'd say, seven years, when I start, first started seeing it coming around. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's probably the 
the biggest one right now. Although, you know, I get excited. I, I'm one of those people who has a, who gets excited by little baubles, you know, <laughs> little shiny objects, right? Sure. And so that's been a, that's been a shiny object that's been on the horizon, been taunting me for years. But yeah, there are a lot of other little things that come along that just, you know, capture my attention and say, Oh my God, that's the greatest thing ever. Well, and I, I, and I, 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 I'm with you and, and I, I get excited about Edge Guide as well. It, Cause Mike always talks about, you know, the, um, you know, giving everyone the opportunity to participate in this modern world. I mean, again, the technology is there, it's been there, but it's now, it's now on us to apply it in, in better ways so that every single person can enjoy the, the dignity and the freedoms of experiencing the world as it is. And so I yeah. completely agree. Like it's such an exciting technology, but an exciting future that going back to, to what Mike said earlier too, like it's something that can, I think, help uh, and, and be impactful on everybody, not just people with disabilities. Exactly. That, I mean, I cannot wait for this, this technology to be commonplace. Just because well, I, I uh, you know, as I as I walk around the world, I want to be able to just go to the thing, identify something internally inside a mall, for instance, or you know, I want to be able to uh, meet somebody within in a subway station, and I want to know exactly where it is, and I just be guided there, just like I'm driving down the down the street in the car. I mean, I gotta believe that that it that the rest of the world would just seize on it and just jump all over it just because it's such an exciting opportunity no pressure mike i i totally agree i totally agree i i'm uh i'm excited for uh edge guide to continue to uh build out and uh and that's actually uh ladies and gentlemen listening uh how i got to meet mr uh ken nakata uh with uh, one of the contracts that uh you get to do as a consultant um you get consulted out by uh small agencies like nasa to go out and uh, look at um, uh, the, the museum spaces and other learning type spaces for accessible technology. Could you want to uh, just real quick talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'd love to because it's one of those. It, it gets back to Crip Camp actually. <laughs> that that one of the laws that, that the law that they were really trying to struggle hard in the beginning to uh, uh, to push forward, you know, Judy Human and all the others. Um, was Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, which is the law that requires the federal agencies and federal grantees to not discriminate against people with disabilities. Now, when we look out into the real world and you know, looking outside my window, I mean, the federal government impacts so many of the things that I can just see just by looking out my window. Like, I look at the street corner and I know that you know, the Department of Transportation probably had probably had helped the fund the city of Seattle at some point to put up that street light or to come up with the regulations on what that curb ramp looks like at the street corner. Or, you know, there's a blue mailbox out at the corner and that's federal post office. And the federal government has so much um has so many little it affects so many people's lives in ways that we don't even, we hardly have even noticed unless you're, until you live inside Washington, D.C. and you, you talk to the federal agencies and they, they tell you how far their, their reach really goes, you don't really sense that as a citizen. And so if we took 504 really seriously, 
it would have changed the world in such a broad way that the Americans with Disabilities Act would have just been just a little bit of icing on the cake. Instead, the Americans with Disabilities Act is like the man and monumental law of civil rights because people weren't taking 504 very seriously. One of the agencies that does take 504 very seriously is NASA, National Aeronautic and Space Administration. Um, and so they, uh, they ask, uh, they require all their grantees to prove that they're, they're in compliance with Section 504. And so they do yearly audits and then they do compliance reviews, which are very in-depth reviews of, of those facilities. So every year, uh, my team goes to one of the facilities that they select and we conduct several days of interviews and we look over their website and look at all their information technology and we do a full architectural review of all their public spaces. So it combines both digital and built environment accessibility. And we come up with this mammoth report and we said, here are all the things you're doing right and here are all the things you're doing wrong. Here are your promising practices. Um, here are the points that you have to boost compliance. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing that for, gosh, uh, yeah, about 12 years now. And it's, uh, it's really exciting. I wish that other, if other agencies did what NASA did, um, we would be having a very different conversation right now. <laughs> well, and hopefully, you know, that. yeah, I was gonna, I mean, it's, it's so appreciated what you all are doing. And I think, you know, now is a really, <laughs> interesting time that we find ourselves in that can hopefully you know open the eyes and minds of of other agencies to start to consider like what it will take to get everybody connected right and and give everybody the chance to access anything or anywhere in the world because right now we can't and so it's um yeah it's such a cool thing you guys are doing ken i think one thing one quick thing that our, our listeners want to know from you is what is your favorite wine? Oh, <laughs> oh I really hey, am hey, a, hey, fan Ken. Of, a fan of Ken. French Pinot Noir. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So after after spending a couple of amazing days with Ken in Hawaii, I, I, I definitely have to say it definitely depends on the meal too, depending on your wine preference, <laughs> correct? Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Oh, now we're yeah. getting into wine stop territory here. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, can't have French. You can't have a French Burgundy if you're eating Asian food. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but a French Pinot Noir—that's that's your number one go-to. Uh, yeah, I'm a Burgundy person. Yeah, love it, love it. What's your Tuesday yep. drinking wine? Uh, my Tuesday drinking wine. Um, just a basic, actually, it's a burgundy. It's a, what I'm drinking right now is uh, a Bourgogne. Uh, so that's just a basic, oh, yes. uh, uh, just a basic red Pinot Noir from um, a producer named Parent, P-A-R-E-N-T. Um, and Anne Parent is, uh, is, I guess, the current um, uh, owner, head of that uh, company, but it traces its roots all the way back to, I think, the 16th century. And hmm. Thomas Jefferson used to drink a Parant, uh, but of, of course, a higher end one than the one I'm <laughs> <laughs> Now, that sounds wonderful. Well, Ken, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. This is such an amazing conversation. Thank you, Ken. Well, thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Ken, for coming on. Really appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, anytime.
All right. We are out. Choose Inclusion fans. We will uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.